It is an honor and a privilege to be here tonight to speak to you from God's word. For those of you, and I know Evan did a great job introducing me, but for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mark Kogan. I'm a small group leader here, and I've been a small group leader for a handful of years. I'm joined with uh, serving with me is my wife, who some of you may have the exclusive privilege of having her as your small group leader. My wife is Julia, and I have one, and Lord willing, more to come in the future, one daughter, Edith, who some of you may know. It has been such a blessing to my family to be part of Compass Bible Church. We have been overwhelmed with the goodness that God has shown us at Compass Bible Church by the faithful teaching of God's word, by the friends and fellowship we have, by the accountability, and even by worldly needs that have been met. My wife and I hope that even some small portion of the blessing that has been poured into us, we can pour back into you. I am so thankful that you all are here tonight doing a weekend service on a Tuesday. It is good that we are here despite the circumstances. I know that maybe for the pastors and for the people who set everything up, this is probably more than an inconvenience, but thankfully to you and I, this is nothing more than an inconvenience, and it is good to be here, and I'm thankful that you are here. I know many of you have dealt with some serious things in the past several months, some of you personally, or perhaps with your family. The coronavirus has thrown many punches and blows to True North, but I know that there's been some serious things that have happened to many of you. I want to talk tonight about something that I believe, however, is uh, universally true given the state uh, that we are in living in this pandemic, and that is work. Now, maybe you have a part-time job working at Chick-fil-A, but uh, your primary work that you do is in your school. And so I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about uh, more than just your school, more than just your education, but how we can be faithful in our work in all ways, in all regards, specifically in the challenges that we face in the coronavirus, but even going on to this, as, as many of you will someday, Lord willing, make it into professional careers or into ministry. I want to turn to Proverbs 6 to explore how we ought to work. So I encourage you to turn there with me if you have a physical Bible, certainly, or if not, at least your phone, so that you can follow along with where we're at. And I also encourage you, especially without any monitors that we're used to, to take notes so that you can follow where we're going and where we've come from. So hopefully you have Proverbs 6 in front of you now. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So I know I could speak personally from my experience in the coronavirus and the things that it has thrown my way. I am thankful that God has continued to provide for my family through my job, 
But nonetheless, it has become more of a challenge than it may have been previously. Work has always been a challenge, but even more so in the coronavirus. There's obviously the base level of complexity and challenges that I have to deal with. But on top of that, there is now complexities with working remotely. There are challenges um, with our clients and the people that we provide services to, struggling in their own ways, causes extra stress, extra challenges, on top of work already being cursed and difficult thing. It also has, frankly, reduced accountability built in. I used to go in to a physical office and people would see me come and go. My bosses would know that I was showing up on time or not showing up on time. Projects can be, it's easy to make projects take longer than they ought to. Project might take two hours and I can more easily stretch it into four hours and say, oh, you know, I have these problems with the client or problems with even IT. But that's not honest and there's a temptation there and it's easy to do that and easy to get away with that. And I think you probably can relate at least in some capacity to the struggles that you dealt with this past spring as your school went online and as you had to deal with those challenges. I know that the circumstances were different for each of you, but it became more difficult to be faithful in your work of your education because of the coronavirus. Not to mention that it was probably already a difficult thing to do. So how ought we work? How ought we be faithful to what God has called us to do? I think this passage in Proverbs 6 is a great place to see. So let's look back at verse 6 as we start to dig into this passage. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. A rather biting term. Um, unfortunately, the sluggard is me. The sluggard is, is you. The sluggard is someone who has been slow to do what they ought to do, who's been lazy, who's been not as diligent as they should. And I know that I can speak for myself and say that there's been times in my life where I've not done a diligent job. I've not been faithful in doing the things that I ought to do that God has called me to. And I think, dare I say, everyone here has experienced the same thing. So this passage is to us. We are, unfortunately, the sluggard. So what ought we do? It says, go to the ant. Consider her ways. Understand what the ant does and why the ant does what it does. And be wise. It's not simply just a weird quirk with ants or because they're cool. But we look to the ant to find wisdom in the ant. Ants are incredible. You may know something about them just from everyday experience, perhaps even on the playground. Uh, ants live on every, every continent of this earth. They live in all sorts of climates, hot, cold, dry, humid. They live in probably what you're most familiar with, the anthill, but they also live in trees. Some are nomadic, meaning they don't have a home. When my wife and I were in Costa Rica, a several years now ago for our honeymoon, we got the awesome privilege of seeing leafcutter ants in action. Um, you may know something about leafcutter ants, but it was incredible to see hundreds and hundreds of uh, excuse me, leafcutter ants winding their way away from the colony 
and then hundreds and hundreds of them winding back, carrying little clippings of grass and little bits of leaves. We didn't even get to see the ants that had the responsibility for cutting down the leaves. We didn't get to see the nest where there's ants responsible for protecting the nest. There's ants responsible for taking care of young, cleaning the nest. And interesting enough, the leafcutter ants actually don't eat the leaf clippings themselves. There are specific ants that have the responsibility of taking those leaf clippings and feeding them to fungus, and these ants actually eat fungus as their primary diet. Ants are incredible, and they have, they're incredible because they do specific things. They are working to achieve a goal. Each individual ant fills a capacity that it alone fills, perhaps joined by others, but it alone is responsible for carrying leaves or protecting the colony. It does that because it knows that it's dependent on the colony. Each individual ant cannot carry the leaves, protect the colony, farm, take care of young. It knows that it has to do its task so that the colony can survive, and with this colony's survival comes its own sur survival. The colony is dependent on each group of ants doing its task. If ants do not collect leaves, there's no food for the ants. So we look to the ant as an example. I encourage you to look more to the ants, look even at Wikipedia, and learn about what ants are. I wish I had more time this evening to talk about it, but this passage specifically asks us to look to ants as an example of how we ought to work. But I don't think the writer of this proverb would suggest that we simply stop at looking at the ant. You and I have an incredible privilege and blessing of being here in True North and part of Compass, where we're surrounded by faithful believers. We ought to look to some of these believers as an example, just as we look to the ant. Pastor Rod, in his first sermon in this series, mentioned a few people that you ought to look to to be wise. And I'm going to reiterate those for you tonight. A couple people that you should look to to emulate your life after and specifically your work would be starting with your parents, whether you like it or not. God has blessed you with parents and you ought to look to them as an example. So the first point for this evening is emulate your work, model your work, after godly examples. So we look to the ant, and we look to people like our parents. We look to people like our small group leaders. Your small group leaders are awesome people in your life that are willing to share with you what their work means to them and how they have failed or succeeded in being faithful to what God has called them to do. And the final group I want to point you to, although there may be others, is your pastors. You may not think of your pastors as having a traditional career, but they certainly do in, in very many ways. They work hard. They work long hours to serve you and to bless you. You ought to look to them as an example of how you work. But we don't just pick these people because they are cool or because certainly not because they're simply wealthy or because they are, have lots of friends or are attractive. We pick them for one specific reason, which is that they are emulating their lives after other faithful Christians who have gone before them. And in doing so, ultimately we are emulating our lives and our work 
after Jesus himself. So, because that's a critical piece of who we look to as examples for how we ought to work, let's spend a little bit of time looking at the life of Jesus, at least at a high level. To do so, I'm going to turn to Matthew 23. Matthew gives us just a, a brief, high-level overview of what Jesus did in his life. Matthew 4, 23 says, And he, Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease, and every affliction among the people. So we see a few things here. But I want you to primarily see that Jesus is doing hard work for the people that he loves. It's his love that motivates him and drives him to do this work. He could have shown up in an RV back in the first century with air conditioning, driven around Galilee, got up, got up on podiums, said a little talk, got back in and left. And he certainly didn't, he could have done nothing. But instead, he has compassion. He has love for the people that he is serving and working for. He's doing a couple things. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's taking the time and the energy to teach them. And he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, doing the work of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's concerned with their eternal state, and he knows that there needs to be a solution. And he has the solution, so he does the work necessary to bring the solution to the people that he loves. But he doesn't just stop at the eternal problems. We see here, he spends time healing every disease and every affliction. What great love is that, that he would come and solve our eternal problem, but also come and solve temporal, worldly, earthly problems such as diseases and afflictions. So, the people that we look to ought to be doing and following the example that Jesus set before them. And that is where we'll find great models to emulate, great people to make our work in the likeness of. So as we return to our passage, and we've set ourselves up by looking to the ant, looking to our small group leaders or our pastors, and finding wisdom in that, ultimately looking to Jesus as an example, what do we do next? Well, it's pretty simple. Point number two for this evening is start working. Start working. I wish I had some magic formula or potion for you to help you to be motivated to start working. But I truly believe that if you have modeled your life after godly examples, it won't be that hard to start working. I think if you are modeling your life and looking to Jesus, who in great love cared for people, you'll be eager to do the same to others. So although it's not, there's not a magic formula, I do think in a sense, the first point is a formula. Verse seven of our passage in Proverbs says, without having any chief, think parent, officer, perhaps a teacher, or ruler, perhaps think pastor, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. She does what needs to be done in the season that it needs to be done. And keep in mind, the ant doesn't even have anyone to look to as an example. It says without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she does it. I want to encourage you with 
three specific things that will come from modeling your work after godly examples that I think you will find as great blessings. To do so, I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, and I hope that you'll turn there with me so that you can follow along. 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians here. There's much going on in this letter, but he's specifically addressing work, and he does that both in 1 Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. And we're going to see some of the blessings that come from being faithful in our work. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, to write to you. The Thessalonians are succeeding in this. And Paul almost undermines himself by saying, there's no need for me to write to you. But he writes nonetheless. And he says, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. The Thessalonians have looked to God as the example of how they ought to carry out this brotherly love. They have emulated God to do so. Verse 10 says, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So this brotherly love is not simply just a feeling. It's not simply just an emotion, but it's something that outpours from this brotherly love. Paul continues, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. And verse 11, where we'd like to focus, says, and to aspire to do three things. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, not giving non-believers a reason to question the legitimacy of what we believe because we're lazy, and to be dependent on no one, which rings back to Proverbs 6 that we'll get to in a couple minutes here. But looking at verse 11, there's three things that I want to bring to your attention. These are things that the world is not going to say are blessings. The world is not going to tell you that these are necessarily good things. However, I truly believe that you will find great peace and joy and great prosperity even, um, even if it is not of worldly possessions, great prosperity in these three things. Paul says, aspire to live quietly. The world tells you that you ought to live loud. You ought to seek your own glory. You ought to be ambitious for yourself. But we, as Paul commands us, aspire to live quietly. This doesn't mean we can't be CEOs or people of power or influence, but it does mean that when we are in those roles or in any role, that we're committed to serving God first and foremost and loving the people that we're serving. The ant does not consider its station in the colony. It is quick to do what it needs to do because it has a task, and we ought to emulate that. The second thing Paul says is to mind your own affairs. You and I live in a world where minding other people's affairs is something we can do very easily and is often encouraged. We have Instagram, we have all sorts of things even at school, social media of any sort that we can use to compare ourselves to other people. But Paul encourages us to mind our own affairs. We find great anxiety, great stress when we compare ourselves to others rather than focusing on the work that God has given us to do and to work with your hands. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to have a job where 
you work physically with your hands. But it does mean that we should be careful not to shy away from such work. And when God gives us such work to do, we ought to be quick and diligent to do it. Ecclesiastes talks all about how there's great reward in the toil of our hands. And we should even be eager to do that. Despite the fact that the world's going to tell you you should find a comfortable job where you can sit in an air-conditioned office. So there's great joy and great blessings that can be found in the right view of work. The world, again, is not going to tell you that these are things that you ought to aspire to. The world is going to tell you that you should seek your own glory to serve yourself. But looking to the model of Christ, we know that he, in human form, did not seek his own glory. Rather, he sought the glory of the Father. He loved people. He laid down his life for people in his ministry and in his death. So we ought to be uh, looking towards these blessings and expecting them to flow from faithful work. Returning to Proverbs 6, hopefully you had your finger there and you can return back with me. So we see, and we've seen, that we are to go to the ant, look to examples for how to be wise, to find wisdom. And then we are to start working. We are to start working. I'm going to interject here and add, and add one thing, which is that we often think of work as simply our career or simply our school. But work is an all-encompassing thing that God is calling you to in your entire life. We often describe Jesus' death on the cross as work, but I don't think we often correlate the two terms. Jesus did work on the cross, just as he did work in his ministry, loving and caring for us. He saw our need. He saw the problem that we faced. He saw the sin and the consequences of sin. And being faithful to what God called him to do, he came in human form. He humbled himself being obedient to the Father, to do the work that the Father had called him. And aren't we thankful, Christian, that he was faithful to do the work that he came to do, that he was called to do? So we have, we've seen the example. We've started working. But this passage doesn't end there. Look with me at verse 9, where we actually find a warning. Verse 9 says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? When are you going to get up? When are you going to do something? Something at all. And although we don't hear the voice of the sluggard directly, we can see in verse 10 what the sluggard says. The sluggard says, I'm tired. Give me a little bit more rest. Give me a little bit more sleep. And then I'll be ready to start. I'll be ready to do the work in a little bit but we see that there is a consequence to such a response in verse 11. Poverty is going to come upon this sluggard like a robber. You don't expect a robber. You don't want a robber. You don't plan for a robber. But the robber comes when you're the sluggard and want like an armed man. An armed man is a serious problem. It's not simply an inconvenience or a trivial matter. The sluggard gets himself or herself into serious trouble because of such a response. Uh, 
What's at the heart of the slugger's response is really that they believe themselves to be wiser than the person asking the question. Proverbs 26.16 tells us that the sluggard thinks that he is wiser and more knowledgeable, knows more about how the world works than seven men who can answer sensibly. So what's going on here is that the, the sluggard thinks he is wise. So the third point for this evening is avoid being the wise sluggard. Avoid being the wise sluggard. And of course, this is not a sluggard who is actually wise. It's the sluggard who thinks him or herself to be wise when they're not. So I want to leave you with a couple questions, a couple things for you to ponder and consider as you think about your own work and whether or not you've been diligent in your work. So one, what do we see here the slugger doing? In verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. The sluggard is making excuses. And I encourage you to look to when you make excuses in your own life to identify when you are not being faithful in the work that God has called you to do. There are many different things that can cause you to make an excuse, to make a complaint. The ant does not because it knows the value of its work. It knows that its work is important, does not make an excuse. The, the ant does what needs to be done in the season that it needs to be done. We also likewise ought to do this. This passage is, is not about rest as it were. Certainly rest has its place, rest has its importance, but this passage is specifically addressing when a sluggard has work to do. It's summertime, it's harvest time, and work needs to be done, and the sluggard is not doing it. So let's avoid making excuses. So what are some things that may cause us to make excuses? Well, I know for many of you who dealt with going online with school, like we've already talked about to some degree, that it was a huge challenge and a huge frustration. I know that your classes sometimes were extremely chaotic. The technology didn't work. Some professor, excuse me, teachers, teachers didn't care, or maybe some of them cared too much as it seems. Some of you were inundated with work, overwhelmed with work, overwhelmed with busy work. Some of you had very little to do. And those circumstances caused, caused frustration, caused pain. And in, in fact, you may be going back, if not a guarantee, you may be going back to such a working environment this fall in just a few weeks. But I know that that frustration, as I've experienced myself in school, can cause us to make excuses and to say, well, it doesn't matter. If the teacher doesn't care, then I don't care. So let's be careful not to make excuses in school. Perhaps, perhaps your parents have asked you to do a chore, have asked you to do work around the house. Let's be careful to not blow them off, to suggest that, oh, I can do it in a little bit, because that shows that our heart believes itself to be wiser than our parents. Instead, we ought to be faithful to really the task that God has called us to, even if it's as simple as the dishes. So don't allow, don't allow frustrations with your parents to cause you to make excuses and not be faithful to your work. And I want to mention that we ought to be careful not to be frustrated with God. God has asked us to do much in this life. There are many things that you, Christian, are called to. 
Being faithful in your job is one of them. Being faithful in your school is one of them. But don't forget what Christ did for us as he walked this earth. He served people in love. He cared for people in love. He got himself dirty with the work of teaching, with the work of meeting people's worldly needs. And likewise, you also ought to do the same. So don't be frustrated when God asks much of you. He does expect quite a bit of you. And it can be easy to be overwhelmed, especially when you're not looking to good, godly examples of how you ought to work. It can be easy to over, be overwhelmed and get frustrated with God and allow that to, make, to be an avenue for you to make excuses and to not be faithful to the things that God has called you to do. The other thing I want to bring to your attention is what we see sort of the inverse of in verse 11. So the sluggard doesn't do the work that needs to be done, and it results in poverty. It results in want. What is motivating the sluggard to not be diligent is rest. So what's the inverse of that? I'm going to ask you this question. What makes you tired? What makes you tired? You should use this question, maybe looking back at this past week, maybe this coming week, maybe this fall as you go back to school, and ask this question to you, what makes you tired? You can go to school and be exhausted and tired because you're working to get good grades, because those good grades will get you into the right college. Or perhaps you're exhausted because you're dedicated to your sports team, because you want to get into the right college program. And that college program will lead to more dedication to more grades and more exhaustion, because you are looking for a career that will pay the bills and allow you to live the Orange County lifestyle. On the other hand, you could be in high school tired out because you know that the work you're doing now, what you are investing in now, is going to provide for maybe your future family. Perhaps it will be a job that will allow you to fund a church plant. And you're doing the extra work now, you're being diligent in your work, so that someday you may have that opportunity. You can be doing the same education, the same work, and have completely different motivations and desires that drive what you do. So ask the question, what makes you tired? It's not simply, are you tired, but what is causing you to be tired? And make sure that you are being tired out because the work you're doing is in service to God and in service to the people who are around you. So, young person, and I love the term that Pastor Rod uses, young person. That term is filled with much care, much love for you. He uses it all the time. So I'm going to use it now to describe, I guess in a sense, my, my care for you. I want you to find an example. Find someone in your life who you can emulate. Look to them. Understand what they do and why they do it. And then start working. Start working. And use those questions as an analysis to see where you are. What's making you tired? Are you making excuses? As I close, I want to turn to Hebrews 6.10. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God has given you work to do, whether that be your education, 
whether that being sharing the gospel with someone. He has given you responsibility and work to do. But he's also not going to overlook when you are faithful to do that work and when you show love to the people around you. He continues, the writer of Hebrews continues, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promise. Be imitators, get to work, and be faithful to what God has called you to do. Let me pray for you. Thank you.